Hello and you're very welcome to Maritime Ireland. This is Tom McSweeney with the Maritime Ireland radio show, the programme and podcast for Ireland's maritime community, which we're helping to build because the sea around our coastline, as well as our inland waters, our lakes and rivers, are all part of Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development, a resource in which we should take great pride. Socially and economically, they're vital to this island nation because Ireland's connection with the sea is as old as time itself. Welcome aboard Maritime Ireland. On this edition, though perhaps you may not realise it, the history of salmon goes back millions and millions of years. So, why are the lordly salmon, as they're known, now under threat? Originally, there were very large commercial fisheries in in, in countries like Ireland, of course, uh, in in Canada, uh, in Scotland, uh, Norway, Russia. um, And to a very large extent, most of the bigger commercial fisheries have, in fact, have been closed down and at this stage even with the commercial net to a large extent gone we're still seeing a situation where survival at sea is extraordinarily poor. Now that's something to be concerned about. That's Ken Whelan, a fisheries scientist with extensive international experience, a marine and freshwater fisheries consultant, a man I've known for many years and whose opinions are to be highly respected. We'll hear more from him about the challenges which salmon have overcome, but the many more they now face. And we'll discuss the way the EU is not treating the entire fishing industry with even-handedness, not giving it equal treatment. After a lot of pressure over the bad deal the European Commission gave Ireland in the Brexit negotiations, it has conceded a 10 million euro assistance deal for the industry, but has not so far helped a section of that industry, those fishing boats and crews, which have been most affected. This only covers the demersal fleet. It doesn't cover the pelagic fleet that has suffered the huge losses here. Two-thirds of the losses. We are certainly insisting that there has to be a scheme brought in to to cover the pelagic fleet as well. That's Sean O'Donoghue, Chief Executive of the Kinnebags Fishermen's Organisation, pointing to where the EU has not dealt with the entire Irish fishing industry equitably. On this edition, we'll also hear about wandering minstrels on the Grand Canal and why the past summer has not been a particularly good one for safety on Irish waters. The Maritime Ireland Radio Show brings you the incisive and comprehensive coverage of maritime affairs in Ireland. Being a fisherman is a tough job these days. Owning a fishing vessel, being its skipper, a crew member, being a family in a coastal community depending on fishing for a living is difficult. The European Commission left the Irish fishing industry down badly when it made a Brexit deal with the UK, damaging the Irish fishing industry. That's a fact which the government has acknowledged. The EU has announced a 10 million euro aid deal for the Irish fleet, which can be read as an acknowledgement of the damage done and the need to rectify it. 
The aid was recommended by the task force set up by the Minister for the Marine, Charlie McConnellogue, after the Brexit deal. But the aid has limitations. Sean O'Donoghue, chief executive of the Killybegs Fishermen's Organisation in Donegal, who's been one of the strongest negotiating voices about Brexit, assessed the deal for me. It actually means that the, uh, we can now bring in the temporary tie-up scheme for about 220 demersal vessels that uh, can tie up for a month between uh, October and December of this year and we'll get um, we'll get compensated uh, a fair compensation for tying up for that month. So is that a, a pretty positive response then from oh, the yeah, EU? Yeah, 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 this is uh, this is uh, this is really uh, uh, we, we uh, this is a recommendation come, coming from the task force. So there is actually some good happening so Sean in response to the case you've been making. Oh yes, this was the final hurdle. The minister and the government had uh, accepted the task force recommendation that we would have um, a temporary tie-up scheme for the commercial vessels for the end of this year. And because it's coming under the Brexit Adjustment Reserve Fund, uh, you have to get state aid approval from Brussels. So uh, France had already got one. In, uh, they had submitted an application in uh, earlier this year and had got that approval in April of this year. You know? So we were looking for this to happen um, to happen earlier. You know? So are you happy enough with that for the moment? I'm happy that uh, we got this approval. I'm disappointed though that uh, that it didn't uh, come earlier in terms of that we could have started the scheme on the 1st of September rather than the 1st of October. And I think the other thing to note is that well, obviously we welcome this very much uh, as such. This, uh, this only covers the... Uh, the Demersal fleet, it doesn't cover the Pelagic fleet that has suffered the huge losses here. Two-thirds of the losses are, are by the Pelagic fleet and uh, uh, we are certainly uh, uh, insisting that there has to be uh, a scheme brought in to, to cover the Pelagic fleet as well. Sean O'Donoghue, Chief Executive of Killybeg's Fishermen's Organisation in Donegal, welcoming the EU assistance for the Irish fishing fleet, but pointing out where the EU must do more to give the Irish industry fair treatment. And pelagic species, the pelagic boats fish midwater, while the demersal boats fish near the bottom. Salmon are fascinating. This species of fish has been around for millions of years, has been the subject of a lot of scientific research and a lot of controversy, such as the banning of commercial drift netting for salmon in Ireland. The American author Sam Ewing wrote a piece about salmon that sticks in my mind. He said, when you feel neglected, think of the female salmon who lays three million eggs, but no one remembers on Mother's Day. Funny, but makes one think, and there's a lot of thought and research being concentrated on the future of salmon. Ken Whelan is an Irish and internationally recognised fisheries scientist and consultant, a leading figure in Ireland on the future of salmon. 
At a webinar organised by the state agency Fisheries Ireland, he outlined the history of salmon, which have survived many threats, but now face the harshest of all. To discuss the history of salmon is fascinating. Considering its future, there is cause for concern. It would not be good to lose it from Irish waters. It's gone on for a long time, Tom, but it's it's very um, it's it's really important, I think, to remember that in terms of looking at one half of the salmon's life, and in the case of salmon that are the large salmon, they spend most of their time at sea, and it's only since two thousand and eight that we started to seriously look at the ocean and try to understand what was happening to salmon in the ocean. And, of course, salmon research has taken place uh, since probably in a serious way since the 1800s, 1860 to 1880 was probably the really the, the, the major start of the science and records, catch records and so on were in place before that. But um, always um, the uh, emphasis was on freshwater and um, perhaps some work in estuaries and near shore where there were commercial nets. But generally it was freshwater, collecting scales, collecting the length of the fish, counting the fish in, counting the fish out. But there was there was no real effort made to try and look at their what I believe to be their ancestral home, which is the sea. The history of salmon, of Atlantic salmon, goes back, and many people might realise it, millions of years. Very, very long way. I mean, we know for, with, with, a, with a fair amount of certainty that the split between Atlantic salmon and the various Pacific uh, uh, Pacific species of salmon was about 20 million years ago. And the original ancestors of the salmon as such may go back as far as 30 to 40 million years. So they have been around a long, long time. Not necessarily in the form we would recognize them, but they certainly have been there. And uh, they have been in the form we would recognize, again, for millions of years. So there's, they have seen a huge amount of change, and they're really good at, at managing change. And the changes have been huge. You're involved in a number of ongoing surveys and studies. There's still an awful lot to learn about salmon, and with all the challenges to them, the, the fears that the species could be wiped out by overfishing, uh, too much commercial fishing, um, even angling has had to be controlled for the leisure sector. There's huge changes still to be studied and a lot of uncertainty, I suppose. Yeah, there really is, um, because um, as you say, originally there were very large commercial fisheries in, in, in countries like Ireland, of course, uh, in, in Canada, uh, in Scotland, uh, Norway, Russia. Um, and to a very large extent, most of the bigger commercial fisheries have, in fact, uh, been closed down in an effort to try and conserve the stock. And that was, that was that's a huge shame, because as a student, I worked for a whole summer with the commercial fishermen down in uh, Kenmare. And I saw uh, the skills and uh, the expertise that these fishermen had, and that was replicated all over the country. Again, I, I saw at a later stage in Donegal in terms of their ability to make specific types of net, to build boats and so on. And to have lost all that, I think, is absolutely tragic. But there was no option except to actually remove those nets because the numbers were, were plummeting. And uh, at this stage, even with the commercial nets to a large extent gone, we're still seeing a situation where survival at sea is extraordinarily poor. Just to give you an example, um, certainly when salmon were doing really well in the 60s, and my dad, Lord Reston, used to tell me about buying uh, salmon instead of cod 
with his fish and chips in the early 60s. And if you look at the cat's record, you can see why. We were probably seeing one million salmon off the Irish coast at that stage. Um, so it's probably somewhere in the region of 250,000 salmon coming back to the Irish coast now. And in terms of the actual salmon at sea, um, we might have had between 8 and 10 million at its peak in the 60s. This is from all countries in the North Atlantic. And we're now down to less than 3 million. So the numbers are very stark. And that's why I think people have taken extraordinary, uh, um, they've taken extraordinary actions to see can they conserve and try and support the stocks that remain. So that leads to the main question, Ken. Do salmon have the ability to adapt to what's so fast changing in terms of climate change, threats to them? Uh, do they have the, the facility, the ability to survive in the ocean in freshwater conditions? Um, well, just to take the first, uh, the first question first in terms of uh, their ability to adapt. They're really, really good at adapting, but you put your finger on it in, term, in terms of do they have the time? And that's really the question I think that's worrying us all because the, the, the pace of change, we've seen that in the last decade or more. Uh, as scientists, and certainly I used to work in the Marine Institute, and we had a very fine uh, research station which still exists and, and is doing wonderful work over near Newport in County Mayo. And we have long-term data sets there going back to the 50s. So we, we really can see the patterns and we can see what's happening. And um, certainly over the last number of decades, we have seen a very, very major change in terms of the conditions, in terms of the temperatures in the winter, the air temperatures, the water temperatures, the movement of water, the speed and extent of the currents and the floods. And it was clear to us quite a number of decades ago that these problems were occurring. But unfortunately, as a population, we're only recognizing them now. So we've left it very late. The one thing I would say about this ability to adapt, um, at the moment, we're focused in on uh, the salmon adapting to where they live at the moment. And certainly in terms of adapting to conditions in a very warm Ireland, or to conditions particularly in a very warm France or a very, very warm Spain. And they're probably at great risk as a result of that. that. But they're doing relatively well in the northern countries. So the temperature changes that we see in the ocean are not, as far as we know, they're not near as severe uh, for the stocks that live in rivers in northern Norway and in Russia. So what I think is most likely is that if conditions continue to remain suitable in those areas, we may very well lose them um, or lose at least some of the populations in our particular uh, area. But salmon as such, I think, will continue to survive and eke out in existence and will take their time and will adapt. But I think uh, the big risk is that we will lose them from our rivers and that our beautiful native salmon might very well go under. But certainly there's a huge, huge effort at this stage to conserve and manage the stocks. So I think the message for this evening really is we need to try and get as many high-quality smokes out into the ocean as we possibly can um, so that we can, to some extent at least, counter the effects of the changes in the ocean and try and balance the losses that are at sea. It's unlikely that we'll be able to contribute in the short term to actually boosting stocks, but we certainly should try to support them and make sure that they don't plummet any longer. So therefore, any effects that are on the juvenile salmon and freshwater, um, you've mentioned uh, the pollution and um, barriers, 
um, any sort of changes that are there in terms of the fresh waters, we need to be really, really clear that the best practical uh, option is really to try and make sure that those impacts are reduced. So to summarise finally, I would be correct in thinking that salmon need space, time, even cold water? Exactly. You've put your finger on it. That's exactly what they do need, space, time and cold water. And um, the cold water component, um, people often ask me, are there practical things we can do? And there's, there's a very major uh, initiative now across Britain and Ireland uh, to look at the whole question of reforestation and not just using trees, but using all of the native species and that lovely mix that you find along these natural riverbanks. Um, to use that knowledge that we have in terms of those species and what's required, to use that as shading to try and reduce the midsummer temperatures because some of the temperatures that we saw earlier this summer and certainly the temperatures that we witnessed in 2018 are very, very worrying. If you're up around 23 degrees centigrade in terms of freshwater temperatures, the salmon are struggling. And if you're getting close to 26 or 27, you might very well see mortality. So there are very uh, interesting practical things that we can do. And there's a lot of community groups and other support groups very, very interested in working with government to try and put those sort of initiatives in place. Fisheries scientist and consultant Ken Whelan discussing the future of salmon. What do you think? I'm interested to hear from you and your views. Email maritimeirelandradioshow at gmail.com. I've heard the description wandering minstrels and with great respect I apply it to balladeer and songwriter Paul O'Brien whose songs about Dublin dockers you'll have heard in my programme previously recalling the history and culture of the dockers. On this occasion I'm applying it because Paul who's been based in Holland is cycling the Royal Canal Greenways route from Maynooth with Dutch journalist Jessica de Court on a project organised with the Irish Tourist Board in order to produce some videos and articles for publication in Holland. Interviewing people along the way about canal life and hopefully canal music. Justin Marr takes up their story. Follow me Follow me With albums such as Docker's Corner and Port to Port, maritime life has been a strong theme in songwriter Paul O'Brien's work. And his next project sees him looking for inspiration from the greenway that follows the 200-year-old Royal Canal, working alongside Dutch cycling journalist Jessica de Korte. Jessica and I have been playing music together for about 15, 16 years. Technically, we were the first people to play live music in Crow Park, in the Congress Centre in Crow Park, Jessica and I were the first to play there. We were there before Bruce Springsteen or anybody. <laughs> she travelled extensively as a cycling journalist and she's made quite a name for herself and won quite a few awards. And we're going to try and play some music along the way and dig up some old songs and hopefully compose some new ones. Well, we have a few different goals, actually. <laughs> but um, we're going to cycle the Royal Canal Greenway from Minute to Longford in three days. And we have a few different projects. Uh, first of all, I'm writing a story for a Dutch cycling magazine. 
Um, we're testing the route for an award we have in the Netherlands for new cycling routes because it's the first one in Ireland that's totally free of cars and you can cycle along it for a few days. Meanwhile, <laughs> we're also making a vlog, a video and a podcast. And that will be a combination of our cycling and music and stories. I'm looking for stories as a songwriter. I just love the stories. I love the names of places and nicknames and background stories. I think the history is terribly interesting, but it's definitely the, the story side of things. And why is something there? Why does it look like that? The history of it is wonderful. And I'm really particularly interested in the fact that in parts the canal was diverted to make sure it crossed some landowners' land in particular. And actually it cost a fortune and they had to build a special viaduct for it. The fact that somebody can actually make such a major work even more expensive because he just wanted it to cross his land really appeals to me. Cycling is very popular in Holland. In 2019, 4.8 billion trips were made by bicycle. And as a consequence of the pandemic, it's only gotten more popular. But the Dutch also have a keen interest in maritime life. Anywhere you go in Holland, it's water. And people are very interested in, in, in the whole waterway system and boating. Boating is almost as popular as cycling. Inland water sport is, is very big here. That's why I think that waterways in general will appeal to an awful lot of people. Now, we'd love to meet up with the Royal Canal Amenities Group, who have done such fantastic work over the last 20 years, making the canal uh, navigable and also uh, accessible walkway and cycleway. It would be wonderful to hear their story in person. The Royal Canal Greenway is part of Ireland's developing traffic-free cycling network and will eventually form part of a pan-European network of walking and cycle routes, which will run from Galway to Moscow. With cafes, picnic spots and attractions along the way, the Royal Canal has a lot to offer. This route is very beautiful because it's all on the water. It's very flat, you know, which a lot of Dutch people are used to that because it's very flat in the Netherlands. Um, it's the first route really for leisure cyclists. And that's why I'm pretty excited about this route in Ireland because Ireland didn't really have any routes like this. I know there's a lot of people who want to promote the cycling, but I have to admit, I think it's, it's going quite slowly, but that's more if I compare it to other countries. Um, I know that in France it took a while, but then the last one, two years it went really, really fast. So I think, well, hopefully Ireland, the next few years, it will go quicker and quicker. Cycling is really a great way of exploring and the new routes that are all coming up. They're really a, a great way to try it out. Looks to me very, very accessible, beautiful trip to take with lots of gentle scenery, lots of nice towns to stop off along the way. And we'd like to highlight that. And if we can combine that with a little bit of music that people haven't heard yet, fantastic. Combining Dutch and Irish interests along the Royal Canal, an interesting project about which we'll hear more in later programmes. 
Turning west now to Galway and the long walk beside the River Corrib, where John Leach, Chief Executive of Water Safety Ireland, joins us from their headquarters, where he's been reviewing what happened on the water in safety aspects during the summer just past. With so many people staycationing at home this summer, we've seen far too many drownings. During our heatwave in July, in seven days we had nine fatal accidental drownings on our island nation and numerous rescues which included non-fatal drownings who were rescued by our hard-working and dedicated lifeguards, members of the Ornelai, the Coast Guard and community rescue boats. Thankfully, they survived their drowning experiences. Three of those fatal drownings were in the north of Ireland. One was coastal at Kilkeel in County Down, the others were inland at Scarva, County Down and at Loch Melvin in County Fermanagh. These were all believed to be swimming accidents. In the Republic, we had four fatal drownings in lakes, one in Swan Lake in County Cavan, in Loch Gowna in County Cavan, and one in Loch Allen in County Leitrim, and then one in Hollywood Lake in County Monaghan. There were two coastal fatal drownings, a man in his 50s at Dollymount Strand in Dublin and another man in his 60s at Tremore Beach, County Waterford. Whilst these all appear to be bathing and snorkeling related drownings, we cannot be sure until the coroners make their reports known to the public. Six out of ten drownings occur in fresh water. Very often the water is unclear and people swim beyond their depth, get into difficulty and drown. The other hazard, of course, is associated with fresh water drownings is entanglement in weeds. And this situation has deteriorated with the advent of invasive weed species, that have established themselves in our rivers and lakes from Europe and Asia. The Coast Guard has seen a major growth in demand for assistance this year and up to the end of July had coordinated responses to a total of 1,763 incidents, an increase of 400 for the same period last year and 150 more than any year over the last five. There have been 47 fatal drownings so far this year, that is 14 more than for the same time last year which is very concerning, and we fear that we could end up with more drownings than last year, when we had 76, the lowest since 1936. Over the course of the summer, all of the people who drowned were not wearing a life jacket. However, that said, overall, we have seen a positive response to the public's usage of life jackets, which is now close to 80%. 15 years ago, it was closer to 60%, our challenge now is to target the last 20% of our population. So more enforcement is required to get these people to wear them, who appear to be unaware of the risks that they are taking and overestimate their abilities. And of course, the majority of them are male. So perhaps it is time now to prioritise water safety in Ireland even more than ever, as we did with road safety in the past, in particular, the enforcement of wearing a life jacket and making water safety and swimming skills a mandatory part of our curriculum for the primary schools and not discretionary as it is at present. So please enjoy your aquatic pursuits or sports safely by always wearing a life jacket on or near the water and use your influence to further reduce the number of drownings on our island nation. John Leach of Water Safety Ireland. And so we end this edition of the Maritime Ireland Radio Show. 
which is broadcast on 18 community stations around Ireland. And they are in Cork on CRY 104FM Yole, West Cork FM, Bear Island Radio and UCC Radio. In Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South. On Dundalk FM, on Athlone Community Radio, on Kilkenny City Radio and in Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar and Eris FM Belmullet. On Southwest Clare Radio, Radio Cockaboshkeen, on West Limerick 102 FM, and Tip Midwest Radio in Tipperary. And there are podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Mixcloud, Spotify, and the MarineTimes.ie. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime community. Your views are most welcome. The programme website is tomacsweetingmarine.ie or look up the Maritime Ireland radio show. Our program email address is maritimeirelandradioshow at gmail.com. That's maritimeirelandradioshow at gmail.com. Phone and text number 0872 555 197. That's 0872 555 197. Sound supervision on the program by Justin Marr. More marine news on Twitter. Follow me at Tom Sweeney. Until our next broadcast, the usual wish of fair sailing.